Welcome to the Runner's World Show. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief. Thanks for joining us. Listen, injuries are part of being a runner. We all have to deal with them at one point or another. And this week, we take a look at the injury risks of a couple of our own staffers and hopefully teach you something about your own injury risks. Then, in the kick, we'll take a look at some incredible and really fast finishes from last weekend, starting with a 100-year-old woman who ran 100 meters, and on the other end of the spectrum, just the ninth high school runner ever to break four minutes in the mile. But first, and I'm sorry to you loyalists who are wondering what has taken us so long to do this, we bring you our very own Chief Running Officer, Bart Yasso. Thanks for listening. Like any sport, running has its celebrities and its superstars, going back to living legends like Billy Rogers and Frank Shorter and Joan Benoit Samuelson, and even today, incredible athletes like Shalane Flanagan and Meb Kaflesky and on and on and on. But the truth is, nobody is more famous, certainly nobody is more beloved, than Bart Yasso. Bart has been at Runner's World for 28 years, and his current title, which is perhaps the best title in all of America, is Chief Running Officer. More informally, he's known as the Mayor of Running. And we're going to have him on the show from time to time going forward. But in this episode, we're essentially giving Bart the mic so that you can hear Bart in Bart's own words. But first, there are a few things that I think you need to know about Bart. Number one, he personifies the fact that running can transform people's lives. He grew up in Pennsylvania with a pretty overbearing father, had a bit of a drinking problem, and his life just wasn't on a track that he was happy with. When he started running, everything changed, which leads to the second thing you need to know, which is that Bart loves running as much as anyone ever has, and he's got some serious running cred. He ran his first race in 1980 at age 25, and since then, he's done more than 150 marathons. In fact, years ago, he lost count of exactly how many marathons that he's done. He was one of the very earliest finishers of the Badwater Ultra Marathon, a 146-mile race that starts in Death Valley, where temperatures peak at 120 degrees and above and finishes after climbing over 14,000 feet on Mount Whitney. Running also is taking Bart all over the world and repeatedly thrust him into stranger-than-fiction scenarios. He's had more running adventures and has more running stories than anyone I've ever met. He's run races on all seven continents. He's been chased by a rhino in Nepal. And as he wrote in his book, My Life on the Run, The true essence of running is that it is a passage to a bigger world. That's how Bart has approached running for decades. And lastly, what really makes Bart so popular is his ability to genuinely connect with people. And I've been with him on the road. I've been with him in airports. I've been with him at races. And everywhere I've been, somebody recognizes Bart. But better yet, Bart recognizes that person, too. In fact, he remembers people's names. He remembers their marathon PRs and where they were set. I've never known anyone who connects so easily with more people. And wherever we are, the lines are the longest to meet Bart, to have a book signed by Bart. His seminars are always the most crowded. 
There truly are thousands, if not tens of thousands, of FOBs, friends of BART, all over the world. Here, he talks about his crazy travel schedule, the disease that totally changed his life, and what he means when he says, never limit where running can take you. Think of it as a primer on the life of BART. This is Bart Yasso, the chief running officer at Runner's World, and also known as the mayor of running. Yeah, so my travel schedule, typically I'm at a race about 40 weekends out of the year. I'm at some event somewhere around the country. Uh, now, I do mostly domestic events. In years past, I did a few international trips uh, per year, but now most of, most of it is domestic. But yeah, I go to about 40 events per year, and they always happen on the weekend. So I wish marathons were on a Wednesday, but they're always on a Saturday or Sunday. 40 stretches me out with the amount of travel you do and nights in a hotel, and uh, I want to spend a couple weekends at home cut my grass and do the things that uh, need to get done around my house. But, you know, I the travel is arduous, but what I do at a race is very rewarding, and the people I meet absolutely inspire me, and they keep me in the game, and they keep me running, and I just, and I love when I can find these stories that end up in the pages of Runner's World, or on the digital side of uh, runnersworld.com, because there's just Every weekend I meet these people that just blow me away. So a lot of stories that end up, you know, in Runner's World may not have my name on them, but at some point, you know, I was involved in it. Tom White comes to mind, who who, uh, was a dear friend, and literally, to be a runner, had to remove his leg. And, you know, you just can't think that's possible. But Tom was such an incredible runner, and he hobbled around with this bad, bad leg from an auto accident for a long, long time. And I finally just said, you know, I want to be a real runner, and the only way to do that was to remove his leg. And uh, the, the other one that, that comes to mind all the time and one that I really kind of relive all the time is running with the Amish because uh, wherever I go, you know, I go to a race, Richmond Marathon, I was there, and... There's three or four Amish people that did the half marathon and then they were waiting for some people in the marathon and, of course, it was other Amish they were waiting for. And, uh, you know, the race director said, they can't be Amish. I said, trust me, they're Amish. And sure enough, they walked over to me and said, hey, Mr. Yasso, how are you? And uh, like, how do the Amish know me? It's unbelievable. And then when the when I go out to the to the Amish community and see all the kids out there running, it's it's unbelievable. And if you were there just four to five years ago, you wouldn't see any runners. And now you'll see hundreds of runners. And it's just because that handful of Amish, you know, they when I went out there, I really talked to them about spreading the running love throughout their community. You know, don't force anyone to run, but let's just talk about it and show them how much fun you have. And it spread like wildfire. And now Amish runners everywhere. And they... They run faster than I can and they wear wool pants and a cotton shirt and suspenders and the women wear a dress that goes from their neck to their ankles and they can beat me in a race anytime.
Yeah, so what is a chief running officer? How do you become the chief running officer? Uh, you know, it evolves, uh, and I've been a, a, at uh, Runner's World almost 30 years. But it, it, my job kind of evolved with the sport. You know, it, it was really – I was originally hired to make a connection through events to our readers and then on site at events. So so it's changed over the years. But but so has the communication and that's what I love. Like as, as you know, we can connect with readers in an instant through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram uh, and of course on our website. And that's the change I really love. And that's a fun position to be in these days versus the way it was back in the 80s when I started and you know, I could go back to the 70s when I started running. It's changed so much. But I love this position as chief running officer. Most importantly, I want to connect with the runners. So I'd love to do shakeout runs. What's a shakeout run? The day before the race, we go out and run two and a half to three easy miles. The reason why we call it a shakeout run, shake out the nerves, shake out the cobwebs because we tend to get a little crazy in the taper as we're tapering down for a half marathon or marathon. So I get a lot of the stories when I do the shakeout runs because if you do a shakeout run the day before the race, there's not the pressure of race day. So people are in a relaxed atmosphere and they tell me their story and uh, and it's a way to connect. You know, They ask me questions about our magazine and our website and what's the best book for them that, that we publish. So, And then later on on Saturday, it'll, uh, you know, I always end up doing a seminar or two on how to run a good race. Or I share my life story, how this – what I call never limit where running could take you and show how I use this sport to end up running all over the world and it's my job. And uh, and then, of course, race day. Most of the races I don't run anymore, so I'm really doing race festivities. I do a lot of race announcing, a lot of media interviews, a lot of uh, meeting and greeting at finish lines of races, which is really what I like. I, I had my days in running, so – I, I feel very comfortable uh, being out there supporting everybody and being just part of the great community. I try never to do my presentation the same ever, uh, but I do have a set message that I want to deliver. And that message is the power of our sport and the power of the running community, not just your individual running. My tagline, never limit where running could take you. I mean that physically, geographically, emotionally, spiritually, however you're going to use this sport, use it to the max. My personal running, I did have to dial back because of complications of Lyme disease and some of the after effects I had from Lyme disease. Uh, when I first contracted Lyme disease in 1991, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what was wrong with me and the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me, but I couldn't run and I was really beat up. And uh, eventually I was diagnosed, got on the antibiotics, which brought me around eventually, and I started running again. But then I contracted it again in 97. And when I contracted it in 97, I got really sick with Bell's palsy and paralysis, and I was really in trouble. And I spent a lot of downtime. And uh, But eventually I got back into running, and, you know, here I go again. And I got back to winning a marathon at age 43, which was fun to do, and, you know, running – 242 marathons at age in my mid-40s and doing a couple 50K ultras, finishing second overall. I was like, this is fun. But then I got sick again in 2002. And when I got sick that time, I'd never been the same. Uh, when I came out of the hospital in 2002, I've been – it really took me back and I've never been able to build back up to where I've been. So 
I always said when uh, Big Sur Marathon, I'm a mile marker at mile 24, and I always say when they make a mile marker out of you, that's like a they're giving you a cue to like it's time to exit out of the sport as a competitive runner. Uh, so, and I'm happy with that. You know, it uh, Lyme disease did beat me up, but occasionally I get that urge to go out there and and uh, try to do a race, and I do occasionally do a race. Uh, but I'm a lot slower than I used to be. But I still have so much fun doing these races. So normally I only run two days a week, keep my running to just four to five miles two days a week. But I'm going to up that a little bit. I'm up to three days a week, hoping I can get it to four days a week. And uh, when I go into one of these races, my goal is not to hurt myself. <laughs> Come away that I can do this again and uh, just go out there and, you know, I – I call it a win if I get to the finish line. You know, I just I'm all about listening to my body and not pushing it because uh, if I do, I just get sick and end up in the hospital, which is not fun to do. So, I really listen to my body and really dial it back. And you know, I just go out. I enjoy each run, even though most of them are painful. I still go out and enjoy my surroundings and and uh, what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Over the years, the, the questions have changed and the community has changed. You know, in the old days, it was all serious. Got to get a PR. Got to run a fast time. You know, everything was like that. Everything was based on what you were going to do in the race, place in the race, personal best, run a fast time. And now people really go for the experience. You know, they're still going to challenge themselves in the race. But they want more than just a race. They want to tour the town that they're in. They want to meet famous people. You know, they want to make a weekend of it, not just the one-day experience. They want to make it a whole weekend of fun. This weekend, I'm so excited. I'm going to the Grand Canyon Half Marathon. The course is right on the border of the National Park. It's a trail run, it's a big loop course, and we're at an elevation of 6,700 feet, so I think it's going to be a challenging, fun race. I've never been to this race before. This is a new race for me. Been to the Grand Canyon a few times, but I really haven't explored the South Rim, so I'm excited to do some exploring of the South Rim and then get to run this half marathon. There's a new race put on by Vacation Races. Vacation Races has nine uh, nine or nine race series all near our national parks Zion, Grand Teton, Yellowstone, Rocky Mountain, Lake Powell, Everglades, Great Smoky, Yosemite. You know, they put on all these races, and their whole concept is to do the race, most of them are half marathons, and then you explore the national park. And of course, this year is pretty significant because our National Park Service is celebrating 100 years in August. 25th, 2016, will be the 100th anniversary of the opening of Yellowstone National Park, and which really created our national park system. But I, I love that concept. You know, you get to run a race, use that running as a vehicle to get you there, but then be a tourist and explore the national park while you're there. By far, my favorite national park is Death Valley just because I've run the 146 miles through Death Valley. Uh, but, you know, when I did the, the Badwater 146 in Death Valley back in 1989, Death Valley was not a national park. It was called a national monument, and it was preserved. It became a national park in 1993. 
So, yeah, I definitely have an affinity for Death Valley, and I love to go out there in the summer and experience that 120-degree temperature and uh, remind myself that I was actually able to run that far back in my younger days. I had a little setback with hernia surgery, so I'm a little bit dinged up, but uh, hopefully I'll be all right and I can just go out there. I'm not going to worry about how fast I go. I just want to go out there and run easy and enjoy the scenery and take pictures, so it's a perfect, perfect scenario for me. That was Chief Running Officer and the Mayor of Running, Bart Yasso. You can see some terrific photos of Bart's adventures from around the world at runnersworld.com audio. Recently, in our March issue, we published an injury prediction calculator in the magazine. It was called, Can You Be Injury-Free? We compiled a list of questions based on the top risk factors identified by the experts. Readers could take the quiz, rack up points, and identify the areas of their lifestyle or training that might be putting them at risk for getting hurt. Of course, we also wondered about ourselves. How diligent are we about injury prevention? So editor Katie Knights brought a couple of staffers down to the studio and put them to the test. My name is Suzanne Perot, Runner's World Managing Editor. I have been running most of my adult life, but I would call myself a casual runner. I'm not competitive at all. I enjoy it for my health and for my mental well-being. And I'm Robert James Reese, executive producer for Runner's World Online. Uh, I've been running for about eight or nine years. Uh, Enjoy running marathons. Okay. Do you run more than 30 miles a week? No. Even though I've drastically increased, I'm not to 30 miles a week yet. Uh, Yes. uh, Pretty much every week. Uh, I shoot for about 50 to 60 miles a week. And actually, uh, I just had my first ever 80-mile week uh, last week. Okay. And how many days a week do you run on average? Probably about five. Uh, most weeks I end up running um, all seven days. I usually end up with a, a day off every other week or so. And how many marathons do you race a year? Zero. That's easy for me. I, I, I don't even aspire to running that distance. I do have a bad habit of registering for a lot of marathons and running them uh, usually ends up being eight or nine a year. I watch a couple a year. <laughs> have you been forced to reduce your mileage in the past year due to injury? Or have you received injury treatment in the past year? I have a tear in my rotator cuff, which doesn't seem like it would impact your running, but it has, it hurts. Ouch. Uh, So so I haven't been forced to reduce my mileage because of an actual injury. Um, I've backed off a little bit a couple times because of things that could have become, uh, felt like they maybe could have become injuries down the road. Okay. Have you recently gone through a major life event, or are you in the middle of a trying period at home or at work? How long is this show? (laughs) Uh, Wow. I could go on. Uh, Yes, we recently moved to a house, renovated it, um, and that was a lot of work, and it was trying physically and puts a strain on the relationship. And your rotator cuff? Oh, yeah. and And my rotator cuff was torn when we moved, so during the move. Uh, Well, I have a 17-month-old son at home, and uh, he's our first child. And, yeah, that's a pretty major life event. For sure. And this next question feeds off of that last one. Do you sleep fewer than seven hours a (laughs) night? Uh, Yeah, it's seven hours a night. It sounds pretty amazing. 
<laughs> it doesn't get any better when they get older. Um, yes, I, do, I don't average seven hours a night. It's usually a little bit less than that. Have you started running in a new make or model of shoe recently? Uh, yes, I guess. Um, but I always am. And uh, at the moment, I think I probably have, I don't know, around 50 different shoes in the rotation. I have one shoe in the rotation. Do you have lofty time goals and are you inflexible about adjusting them? <laughs> no. I'll, but, I'll, let, I'll let Robert take this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't. No lofty time goals. And if I ever had time goals, uh, having the kid kind of put them on hold. I don't have time goals. I have distance goals. So I know I don't think I'll ever become a faster runner. My goal is always just to try to run a little bit farther, a little bit farther, a little bit farther. And if I run at the same pace, I'm happy to just increase the distance. Are you flexible about those goals in general? If you're supposed to jack up your mileage one week and not you're not really. I it? mean, I'm really, you know, if I... Oh, I if think I, she gets a point. <laughs> if I I'm go out and I want to, you know, if I go out with the goal of running X number of miles, which, I, you know, I feel like I shouldn't say because Robert's out running 80 miles a week, um, I still want to hit that, you know, I'll keep checking... My run, my run tracker, and if I haven't hit it, I'll keep going, keep going, keep going. So, so if if you finish a run and you're at five point nine eight, right, I have to go back circle. out and do the rest. <laughs> you circle the driveway the to get to exactly. Got it. Okay. Uh, next question. This is an interesting one. Are you a woman? <laughs> I'm going to say yes for that. Okay. I'm going to go answer. with no. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like an odd we question. Well Fact checked, right? <laughs> But it actually has been shown that women do have unique injury risk factors. Um, one of the main ones is our hip anatomy is a little different. And uh, because the way our hips are angled, it can lead to various different injuries. So that's why we included that. Okay. And then final question. This is just for Suzanne. This is a women's only question. It's a little personal, but it's an important one. Do you leak urine when you run? Wow. Um, you know, this is something that... We don't even really discuss at Runner's World, but it has come up recently. And, and when it did, it opened a floodgate. Not I didn't mean a pun there. <laughs> but, you know, if you have had children and it doesn't really matter about, you know, depending on your age, but that plus being over 40, it it makes a difference. And um, it doesn't always happen, but it depends on, you know, you've got to go before you go out to run to make sure it doesn't happen. And if you are running with someone and you're laughing or you're coughing because you have a cold, that can make a difference. And yeah, it does happen. Yep. It happens to me too. And uh, this is a big issue that we're talking about more and more at Runner's World. I recently talked to a sports medicine doctor who said, she called this an epidemic. She said as many as 40% of women runners suffer from this. And and just like Suzanne just said, nobody's talking about it. So um, why this is important is that's a sign that you have pelvic floor dysfunction, and the pelvic floor is the core of your core. It's the most innermost abdominal muscles. And if those are dysfunctional or weak, it can throw off your whole kinetic chain and cause a cascading um, effect down your entire body and cause other weaknesses and injuries. So that's why we wanted to include it in the quiz, because uh, it can be a major injury predictor for women. So now we have a couple extra opportunities to uh, improve your score yes. with some positive <laughs> behaviors that can uh, help you prevent injuries. <laughs> so this is, this is a good chance to improve your score. Do you take an extra rest day or skip a hard workout if you're feeling off? Yes. Yeah, and same here. I'm pretty good about that. Okay. Do you do any form of body work like foam rolling or using a tennis ball or getting a massage 
on a regular basis to keep your muscles loose? No, I know we're supposed to be doing that, but uh, I never seem to find the time. Yes, I use a tennis ball at home all the time. Okay, after a run, do you refuel with a mix of protein and carbohydrates within 30 minutes? I don't think I run far enough. Yes, um, a lot of my runs end right before lunchtime, so uh, that makes it easy to come back inside and refuel with everything you need. Okay, do you have an active job? And if you don't, if you have a desk job, do you get up and walk around for a few minutes every hour or so? I think I get up pretty frequently and walk, but still not enough. And I have a stand-up desk. I use it not enough. Uh, no, I don't I don't think I get up and walk around as much as I should. And I'm actually still on the waiting list for my own standing desk. So Maybe this will fast-forward that request. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> okay. And then back to running shoes. Do you change your running shoes every 300 to 500 miles? I don't track the miles on my shoes now. And yeah, uh, I do um, keep track of how, how long they go, and I never let them get over 500. So thanks, guys, for taking the quiz. As you answered each question, I kept track of your points. And the goal here was to have the lowest points possible. The lower your score, the less likely you are to become injured. Suzanne, you scored a 5. And I'm sorry to say, but that is considered in our red zone or high injury risk. Wow. Uh, so you might be healthy Oops. right now, aside from your unfortunate I feel shoulder injury. All of a sudden. <laughs> but um, in this... I'm afraid to get up and move. Yeah. In this quiz, what's really interesting is you only need a score of three to be considered at risk of injury. That means that having three factors here could be enough to set you up for an injury. Uh, so the goal would be then to go back and see where you got points and do what you can to subtract those points. So in some cases, uh, like you're a woman, so sorry, you can't, we can't change I'll work that, on that right now. Yes, I'm working on um, that right now. <laughs> and you know you moved, you couldn't change that, but but potentially your your stress load would be going down now, and so having less stress in your life would be a positive thing, and that would start working in your favor. And then another thing that you mentioned that I thought would be a really easy thing for you to address is fueling. So you said that you generally don't feel like you need to eat while you run or after you run. It's, it's true you don't really need fuel during your run if you're not going over 60 minutes. But everybody needs fuel when you finish running, and it's really, really important to get it fairly soon after you finish running, especially protein. And that restores energy into your muscles and enables them to repair themselves quickly. So that's something pretty easy that you could do. It's kind of surprising because I always think if you're a lower mileage runner that you're probably less prone to injury because I'm not out running 80 miles a week. But yeah, I think that I could work on a couple of these things. Um, I didn't realize even that I work here, <laughs> that I should be, you know, because I always think I'm a short runner, so I don't need to refuel or do something right after a run. If it's not dinner time, I don't eat. I just drink something and wait till dinner. Okay, so Robert's an interesting case. Robert scored a 4.5, so he's also considered at injury risk, high injury risk. Um, which, which beats Suzanne's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're lower than Suzanne's. Congratulations. But you're still in what we called in the magazine the red zone. The red zone. <laughs> Welcome so, to the red zone, Robert. What that means is you seem to be really healthy right now, but there are some factors in your running life that could contribute to injury. And I think what, was, what really put you up high was your weekly mileage is considered high. 
and uh, you run many days a week, most days of the week, and you don't seem to be really religious about taking regular rest days. And also uh, your marathon average, you run a lot of marathons. But um, there are other things in your life that um, you could take control of to even keep your injury risk lower. Um, We talked about you have a beautiful son, so you're not getting a lot of sleep at home. Um, You'll that's have something to put that's him up for adoption. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you could babysit. Yeah, I will. Okay, I'll offer my services. Yeah, to talk to his wife Just about how that'll injure, help his injury <laughs> risk. So it's really, it's really important. But you could um, try to counteract that by. Maybe taking an active recovery day once a week. It seems like you're really dedicated to your running and you want to run seven days a week because you love running so much. But you could take one of those days and do another activity like biking or uh, swimming or something else, and that would help your body recover a little bit more. Uh, And you could also, it doesn't seem like you foam roll or do any kind of body work, and that seems like it could really benefit somebody like you who's running so much. Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, about the the foam rolling and all that, like, that's one of those things that, you know, we know we're supposed to do it. I know I'm supposed to do it, and I just never seem to find time. So uh, maybe this will be the the kick in the pants that I need. Thanks, guys, for coming down and taking the quiz. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Huh. As I sit here recording this episode, I'm thinking about my injured piriformis slash hip flexor slash glute. And yeah, it turns out we've all got a little do as I say, not as I do in us. Find out if you are doing everything right at runnersworld.com slash injury quiz. Okay, it's time for The Kick. I'm here this week with Sarah Lorge butler who oversees the Newswire section of our website. Hey, Sarah. Hey, how's it going? Good. What do we have this week? This week, we've got Ida Keeling. Ida ran at the Penn Relays on Saturday, and she ran the 100-meter dash in one minute and 17 seconds. Wow. Okay, so over a minute. The world record for the 100-meter dash is under 10 seconds. So over one minute is incredible because Ida is... She is 100 years old. (laughs) (laughs) After she finished the race, she went to the infield of the track, and she dropped to the ground and did three push-ups. And our video producer, Derek Call, caught up with Ida and her daughter, Shelly, after the race. Mom just set the world record for the females, 100 to 104, here at the Penn Relays. And I'm just thankful that she did it, she finished, and that uh, she's still here to talk about it. I'm very happy for all of this crowd. I'm a nice example of what you can do for yourself, and I thank God every day for my blessings. I think I'm going to move her to weightlifting. I'd rather she leave on a high note. Um, she's quite strong. There's no records the same thing in any of the uh, like powerlifting. What's next for her today? She says she's ready for a cocktail, and so am I. <laughs> that was Ida and her daughter Shelly, and as you can hear, the crowd loved Ida. And that was a world record for the 100 to 104 age group. Yeah, there's this endless fascination with octogenarians and septuagenarians doing these incredible things. It's so awesome. What what was the existing record that Ida broke? Well, there actually was no world record. Ah. She set the world record. And she didn't run alone, right? I mean, there were other people competing with her. Correct. She was one of nine in the heat. And the winner of that heat was very impressive. 
it was Ed Cox from Syracuse, New York, and he was 88 years old. Ah, it's spring chicken. <laughs> right. He beat a lot of guys who were younger than him, and they were just 80. And he ran 17.85 seconds. If you do the math on that, that works out to 446 per mile pace, which <laughs> is just amazingly impressive for 88 years old. I don't know if I should be encouraged or if I should be depressed. (laughs) All right, moving on. What else do we have this week? On the other end of the age spectrum, we've got 18-year-old Michael Slagowski of Meridian, Idaho. On Friday night, he became the ninth U.S. high school miler to break four minutes. Wow, so only nine high school kids have broken four minutes. Jim Ryan first did it in the early 1960s. I'm surprised that more kids haven't done that. Well, it's been interesting. It took a long time for the first five to do it, but in the past 12 months, there have been four high school boys who have broken the four-minute mark. There's definitely a spate of them, and I think that they're inspiring each other through social media and ever better training, and more and more of them keep hitting this mark. So it seems like high school runners are going to be going after this more and more in the future, but so what's next for the great Slagowski? So he's supposed to run at Penn State in the fall, and his coach has been keeping him on pretty low mileage. He's more of an 800-meter mile kind of guy. And so really it seems like he's just scratched the surface of his potential, and it'll be interesting to see you know, how much more he can do in the future. So some fast times on the track, and we seem to be getting faster as a species, whether we're 100 years old or 18 years old. Continuing on the theme of focusing on fast times, the BQ craze goes on and on. That's right. There are two relatively new races in the Midwest, which are catering exclusively to runners who are trying to run Boston Marathon qualifying times. These races are small, they're flat, they're shaded, and they have pacers set to run at your BQ time. And you get to have personalized water bottles. They only take about 350 people. So they really seem like great opportunities if you're just dying to get your BQ race. It sounds like a marathon concierge kind of thing. They just stop short of actually running in your shoes for you, which is probably what I'm going to ultimately need for BQ. But this sounds incredible. Where are they? One of them is in Geneva, Illinois. The other one is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. What? My hometown? Yeah. Okay, so these are small races. I imagine they would sell out pretty quick, given the BQ craze. Yeah, the one in Geneva, Illinois, is probably going to fill by the end of May. But the one in Grand Rapids, Michigan, still has a little bit of space left. So is it just first come, first served? No, you actually have to prove that you stand a chance of getting a Boston qualifier before you can enter the race. So you have to have run a half marathon at your Boston qualifying pace or have another marathon within 10 minutes of your BQ. So let me get this straight. I have to qualify for the race that will help me qualify for the race that I can't qualify for. You got it. That's right? Yes. Oh, man. I think I should just maybe stick to 5Ks this year. Okay, our last item in the kick this week, Ryan Hall, who was our first interview in the first episode of the Runner's World Show. And since he retired from competitive running, he's become really serious about strength training, weightlifting. He told us that he starts every day at like 5 in the morning by hitting the weights. And you finally got some more details on on Ryan Hall's weightlifting routine. Yeah, that's right. He's been traveling with his wife, Sarah, to her marathons, to the Olympic marathon trials. And he went to Boston 
just to do some sponsor appearances and things like that. And then he went with Sarah again to the London Marathon. And people are just coming up to him and saying, you look fat. Or he's hearing whispers of people saying, he looks fat. And he posted a selfie to Twitter with his shirt off. And clearly, he's much larger, but he's not fat. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. He's put on 40 pounds of muscle in three months. 40 pounds of muscle. Wow. Yeah. So he detailed his routine for Runner's World. He gave us everything that he does, and you know we put it in our story, and people were really interested in it. Yeah, here we finally got a picture for you, David, to look at. Wow, the, I, I seriously have not seen any pictures of him like this. It's and he's doing the requisite, you know, selfie in the mirror. He's got a hat on. He's unshaven. He he really looks big. He does not look like a guy who was, you know, running sub 206 marathons all that recently. Right. And how much does he weigh now? So he put on 40 pounds. So now he's up to... I think 165 pounds, wow. he said. Yeah. And he's had to buy a whole new wardrobe. He's gradually moved from smalls to mediums. And now he's buying himself large and extra large XL? just in case it gets to that. He hasn't seen X. He's never seen XL. Right. One of the things that is interesting was just that he's seeing such rapid improvements in the amounts of weight that he can lift. And as an elite athlete, you're always chasing seconds and just teeny tiny incremental improvements. But for him, it's been really satisfying satisfying to just improve very quickly at something that he's brand new at. Yeah. It I think it also highlights just how physically and naturally gifted some of us are at getting fit, right? I mean, he was always so fit and when he was training hard, running 120 miles, you know, his body was optimized for that purpose. And he's just one of those naturally gifted people who when he changes gears and starts pumping iron, puts on muscle really really quickly. So I look at those photos, and I also think about testosterone. One of the reasons that he retired was he had chronically low testosterone, which would lead to these really terrible bouts of fatigue. I wonder if one of the things that's working for him here is that lifting all these weights is maybe generating more testosterone. I think experts say that weightlifting can help with testosterone levels, but... I think the most important thing to realize, uh, when our reporter, Aaron Strout, caught up with Ryan, she said he just sounds so happy. And I think that's kind of the most important thing to remember. Yeah. Well, when I interviewed him, he did not totally close the door on making a comeback to a competitive running career. But I have to say, seeing those photographs makes me wonder if... uh, if that's kind of out of the question now. I guess we'll see. Yeah, well, one other interesting thing is he does all these repetitions on very short rest or no rest, so he actually does get a little bit of a cardio benefit from that, and he jumped into a speed workout with Sarah before the London Marathon, was able to knock out three 540 miles, no problem with her, which surprised even him. Wow. Maybe he'll transition into a triathlon or, or something. It'll That'd be fun be to see. An yeah. incredible athlete. That's it for this week's kick. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, David. It was fun. It's what I've learned. The road can be rough. The tides can turn. But if you work to know yourself, don't have to worry about nothing else. So I run. That's it for this week's episode of The Runner's World Show. I'm David Willey, Editor-in-Chief. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Sylvia Ryerson with help from Christine Fennessy, 
Brian Dalek, and Rachel Swaby. The music you're hearing now and that you heard at the top of the show was performed by Thunderhoof. If you're enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Next week, writer Charlie Butler, who happens to be Sarah's husband, interviews Julie Windsor and John Young. Charlie originally wrote about Julie and John in our April 2014 issue after they became the first little people to run the Boston Marathon. They're really incredible and inspiring people, and Charlie catches up with them about what's new in their lives. Julie, for example, recently became a mom. Congrats, Julie. And what's next for them athletically? John has decided to take on the Ironman. So we hope you'll check it out. Try to do your best And so I run So I